The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material in a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. I'm Jess. Again. And this is episode number 200. Yes, you are. 284. <laughs> cultural bias. We're going to talk a little bit this uh, this particular episode about how uh, different cultures affect approaching gameplay. And I've, I've got some interesting points on I kind of want to explore on that. Well, can we approach this subject? We're all of the same culture here. Cultural sensitivity oh. is a thing. So we will be talking about it in very broad terms. And I don't want to spend the entire episode redefining culture every five minutes. So we got to be careful about that <laughs> because you can get really microscopic when it comes to culture. The guy that lives next door, absolutely the same background, completely different culture. I get it. <laughs> I thought most cultures were microscopic or is that I'm thinking scientifically, aren't I? <laughs> Again, let's not go we're there not, either. So we're just going socially. Okay. Oh, got I'll, it. Let we're me not put going my petri dishes away then. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I thought I was ready for culture. I had my yogurt yeah. out and everything. Man, I, you got it. You cannot believe how many people's noses I swapped for this episode, you guys. <laughs> Just let's put all that aside, literally, please. <laughs> Making me a little uncomfortable now. Um, Just because I didn't swap your nose. <laughs> this, it's a bit of a trip for that. It's, it's, it's a long, I guess you could do the mail-in swabbing thing. Eight hours. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, yeah it'd still be faster further. than the mail. <laughs> uh, but you're welcome anytime, that. Jess. Yeah, You know that. Me specifically. You other two can kick rocks no, i yeah, guess no 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 that was you guys understand right <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure if i showed up in your town you would like let me help me find a hotel somewhere find you a place to crash yeah no problem at all <laughs> i was excited that i got some gaming in this week I actually got all the gaming in this week i don't usually get to do that anymore it's you like got every all the week gaming? i'm canceling something oh, oh wow. yeah yeah i got i had a monday I game not. i had a tuesday game we had a game on the weekend we did our burning sky game yesterday oh my gosh um that I sounds just, exhausting just, well it kind of was <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> in a good way it's a good exhaustion i can tell you that because i had to i had to get up early and work yesterday morning and, and the funny thing is I work in a different town where I live, right? It's about a 45-minute-plus drive to work. And uh, I had f I was going to fill in at a different office, which was about a 30-minute drive, yesterday morning. And somehow I'd forgotten to grab something from the office that I promised I would take to the other office. So I left early enough to make the hour-and-a-half drive to go to one location and then clear to the other location before the office opened on Saturday. So Sounds I was already starting the day at a little bit of a disadvantage. <laughs> that that does <laughs> sound absolutely lot. bad. So Atrocious. I treated myself to Dairy Queen on the way home. Because, you know, you could do worse in life. On the plus That's side, fair. all that driving is a lot of time to listen to podcasts. Um, I was listening. What was I listening to? Gosh, I don't know what I was listening to. Which means it must have been very memorable indeed. Probably not Brahms. No, I think it was <laughs> random YouTube stuff. There's a couple of channels i've been a couple of channels i discovered recently and kind of started to listen to like just kind of in fact there's a there's one called like toy galaxy have you guys ever seen that one uh and he he just like and i think this channel is called secret galaxy it's the same guy but i mean he just like does like deep dives on the histories of stuff oh i like his delivery but his information isn't actually that phenomenal it's all very kind of literally just kind of like i'm giving you a reading of what happened when this happened and then after that this happened and then after that this happened you know i was like wow i i like your delivery but um hmm the structure my car won't play youtube videos while i'm driving well i didn't use my car i used my phone oh uh, no I'm, even I when i ran the, it through the car <laughs> no that's what i'm saying even when my phone is connected to my car it will not play youtube videos yeah, while i'm driving there's a really? setting if you're going over so many miles an hour by default google will not play videos because it doesn't want to distract you which really irritated me as a passenger of a car mm -hmm. that because we were in a moving vehicle my phone right. refused to play the videos 
Yeah. Right. I don't think you've ever prevented me from doing that. that at one point. It's, Some apps have things like where you say I'm a passenger, like you know, I, like Amazon Music does and stuff like that. I was like, I don't know. That's kind of weird. I think it's my car, though. I don't think it's my phone. Nothing comes up on my phone. It's just my car won't let me play the video while I'm driving. Just, just the YouTube app is not streaming. I guess to your, so. Yeah. Basically, it's just like no. That's annoying. You can't that's do that while you're driving. Kind of why they have what YouTube Music, so you could listen to stuff through well, that instead some of us don't that's still annoying i i don't i don't yeah i when i got uh into driving uber a few years back i was uh, i went ahead and did the subscription to the youtube app oh and maybe it's something you have to have the subscription for i don't know oh. uh but but it's it's something i always and the reason i did it was because and i don't know if this is true anymore but at the time if you uh, open the youtube app anytime you switched away from it on your screen to something else it would pause the video Oh, yeah. Well, I was I was doing Uber, so if I needed to be able to answer a call, I didn't want it to shut off my entertainment all the time. You know, and I listened more than watched, obviously. So I just needed it to keep going through the <laughs> go through the motions. So that's why, I, and I'm still subscribing. It's like I'm still What's spending spending ten dollars yeah. a month all these all these months and months and months but later. That ten dollars a month includes the YouTube music, yeah. includes the premium no ad YouTube experience, right. yeah, and all the that. no ad thing. And I yeah. forget yeah. about that until I'm, I'm like hanging out with somebody until else and they're showing me something on YouTube. I was like, well, oh, well, there's a ton of ads on here. A different device. And I'm like, oh my god, no. no yeah, 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 I, I get that. Um, <laughs> But uh, ads don't bother me most of the time. I was I, I worked in radio for years. I worked in marketing. Ads don't bother me, but YouTube ads do because they pop them in in the middle of shit without any logic. Right. Mm. But uh, I, I I use my phone at, for work from home uh, to talk to customers, and yeah. so I'll listen mm-hmm. to YouTube music through my phone. And the moment my phone rings, it pauses the music. Right. I right, talk right, to the right. customer. As soon as I'm done with the call, the music starts back up again, and nice. I am back in the zone. Yeah, that's a nice. I mean, that's that's a good way to kind of you know incorporate that particular little tech into your life, right there. Which is better than listening to music outside and having customers hear it over the back as I'm talking to them on the phone. Yes. <laughs> anyway, gaming. Um, <laughs> gaming? gaming gaming what's gaming so yeah yesterday Some by the time i got oh yeah you were bragging about how many games you get a week yeah <laughs> by, by the time i got up in the i got up in the morning did all that driving went to work i got done um about twelve thirty or so and it was only about a half an hour drive back home plus a stop at dairy queen so i was like i'll just do this uh and, and get home and jump right on the computer and run the game so i was letting everybody know what my timetable was looking like and because I used to be like, man, I used to do that shit all the time when I was younger, right? We'd have a game in the evening. Like, I would be on, I'd have an on-air shift till 7 o'clock. And I would know that I could I could go ahead, even though I was doing request shows, I could go ahead and voice track my last couple things, be out the door by like 6.45, right? And heading home and make sure that my players knew they could be at my house, sitting down and ready to play. And I would walk in, drop my books on the table and get going. And I could do it, and it didn't slow me down, and I'd have great games, and I'd be alert and awake, and God, I miss my youth. Um, you know, it just, it's just, nowadays, I got, I got home after all that driving and that working and stuff, which I was, I was fine in the morning. You know, I was high energy. I'm a morning guy. It's not a big deal. But by the time I got home, I'm struggling here to stay awake, sitting here at the computer running a game. And here's an area where I think it would have been different if I was in the room with my players, because that isolation and, and... I've noticed because I spend a lot of time at a computer, uh, particularly in my spare time, my off time, but at work too. I spend a lot of time at a computer and the mental exercise without your body doing anything is exhausting sometimes. And so I think I've gotten to the point where I have a tendency to start to get tired even before I get tired, if you know what I mean. Like my brain is already ready to show you don't want to do this. You know, it's like, yeah, I kind of do. Yeah, but if I was in the room with people and there's the energy of everybody being together, it's a little bit different. You got that social kind of dynamic in the room. Yeah, here where everybody's at a distance on Zoom, and I'm looking at a, you know you guys on a computer screen like this. I was just yeah, we were an hour into the game, and I'm sitting here going, I need to, I don't know, I need to walk outside where it's three degrees and wake the fuck up. I need to um, <laughs> get myself eight more Dr. Peppers. I don't know what I need to do, but. So I started slamming soda and walking around in the garage because it was also three degrees. So your brain goes into, congratulations, you're sitting in a room by yourself. Oh. <laughs> I'm myself eating more chips while I'm online than I did at the table. I, Which, I don't eating like something chips. salty will keep you awake while it's in your mouth 
and then immediately you start to feel tired because you're eating. <laughs> that that's why I keep salt licks in my cheeks. Um, oh, don't do that. <laughs> Good call. No, that's no, don't. That's not a thing. <laughs> are those the full size ones, like they use for cattle, or I don't know what we're we talking about? Here? What do you say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why. That's why they're so puffy all the time. I was wondering, man. I like the brown ones. They have extra minerals. <laughs> That sounds absolutely disgusting on so many levels. <laughs> Thank you for the visual. <laughs> well, and they're for free. That you can usually find them on the side of a fence off the road. No. <laughs> 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 I was just enjoying the gag, and then I was literally gagging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of those places where they have the sign in the men's room that says, don't eat the big white mint. (laughs) They're pink at some places. They do not taste different. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Dude, this is why people eat Tide Pops. (laughs) Right. I don't even don't even I don't get it at all. Nope. <laughs> There's a limit right there. We just hit it. I can't yeah. even. I, ah. I said ah. I said Tide Pops, but my mouth pronounced a P and a B and no D whatsoever. Pops. <laughs> we heard it. All good. You heard it here, folks. Uh, little poggers made of <sighs> poggers. Better than Tide Pogs. Um, I found a bunch of pogs. I love pogs. <laughs> Why? I found a bunch of pogs that Jesse and I made. Yeah, nobody played pogs with me. <laughs> I've so. never played pogs. I wouldn't even Not know what right to age? do. No, I, they were popular when I was young. Just I didn't know what to do with them. I thought they looked neat. Yeah, I liked collecting them. That's where I was at. I I, I had no idea what to do with them. I think there's a thing where you like against Some, each other. Like something about like slamming. Them. That's all I got. Slamming. So what you no do is Uh-oh. you got two people that have collected pogs and they want to trade their pogs. But instead of being like, I've got this mushroom. Do you want it for that cat? You stack them in a pile of 10. I put in five. You put in five. And then we play a game to see who gets which pogs by slamming the slammer down on and any that come face up are mine in that turn and then you stack them back up and the other person gets to go and slam down and then you get a certain number of pogs in the end when you and say that's why i didn't slam. do that that sounds terrible um and i remember this term so slammers. A slammer I mean, is like a large was, pog coin like yeah, some of one. them were made of metal do you do you literally slam it on the table or do you slam it on the pogs you like, or you take the coin shaped thing and you throw it at the stack of 10 in order for it to count though it has to hit the top of the stack and then any that huh. fall off the tower face up are yours and that's how you get new pogs i'm gonna stick to shiny math rocks yeah well but there's no fun game with well i mean there's no fun trading <laughs> what? game <laughs> what, what show are you on jess <laughs> there's, there's no fun trading game though it's not like in the middle of D. it's like okay well now those ones are my shiny math rocks oh now i've we, got we to tell you make a trading game version yeah, of D. that'd be interesting it'd be so I've got much to tell fun you, when it comes right down to it <laughs> exchanges of goods using dice is a much older thing than pogs i guarantee Mm. it but that's different you're exchanging the goods you're not exchanging the dice themselves that's true typically yeah that's true Uh, but i mean no uh, reason you couldn't i guess especially since we live in the world of shiny math rocks of various colors and continuity and we have so many friends who collect them in the thousands i think you guys are okay i know you can exchange dice for dice but there's no dice exchangement game the way there's a pog exchangement game <laughs> you know the you funny thing is your dice just seems silly <laughs> the funny thing is there probably is <laughs> probably somebody's out there has done it. it no no that's not necessary i like my dice I don't need. Yeah, anybody that's else's the other dice. thing is that like people just spend money to get their dice. There's no like, there's no mystery or packs. You know, right. like with pogs or trading well, card games, you don't know what's coming. The people pogs remind me of marbles, right? The pogs remind me of marbles because wasn't the premise with marbles that you you shot marbles yeah. and the shooters were the bigger yeah. marbles? Sure, but yeah. and you know, there again, and you got the ones you you ended up exchanging based on who you know got knocked out and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, whoever gets knocked out of the circle. Well, I don't remember, yeah. I don't, so I never played marbles, so I don't remember there being a rule about, like, trading them. Like, did kids come away with different marbles than when they started? Yeah, I only knew yeah. it from, like, 
like oh, old kids did. shows when I was a kid, because, like exactly. in syndication. Again, so we're talking about something out of the sixties or something. Social, which is weird because you really need that like social. Uh, attention <laughs> you realize that we are social gamers rich don't um, you i mean the, um, so the that, no. I, that, I yeah you're talking we, about we don't have to I, we don't have to get on the podcast to sit around and listen up, to you talk I about just, playing with yourself I we can oh, math this is a social character <laughs> and and roll dice to you know probabilities and i get you know excitement out of the fact that the rolls come up with oh hey i got a 14 this time that's awesome i love 14s so the marble i don't oh. doubt it the marble sets that we sold at the toy store were all like you got to see the color of marble that you're getting. So it's like buying yeah, a dice true. set. That's so I didn't realize that it had a trading so component. It's not like Magic the Dice or Yugi Dice yeah. or anything like that. Well, trade dice by keep in mind dice. though, even the core premises of that, like Magic, for example, the one of the core premises of the game from the very beginning was the ante. You know, so you're anteing up a card that gets taken by the winner. Did magic, a, did magic have a, yeah. Wait, did yeah. magic have a trading mechanic? It used to. Yeah. yeah. Well, an ante. Yeah, I mean, and then there are draft tournaments where you take certain things oh, yeah. out of the pack, and other people get certain yeah. things, and then there's right. rare, rare drafting, and there's it's. But Magic's drafting is buy like you buy stuff. in with packs too. You buy back, you buy packs, and yeah. then you get that That's same part amount of getting cards. Into it. Yeah. The the funny thing is though with the ante is that back then there were even cards in the earliest sets that relied on the ante mechanic. Wow, I you didn't. Know, that, I had no yeah, idea. I, mean, I, have, I had a couple of them somewhere. But I don't have any cards anymore. They all got stolen. I that's magic for you. That. I gave mine away to a girlfriend. I'm sorry. I have it's thousands okay. of them in that closet. I, have, I burned mine. I have three My Little Pony magic cards. I do. I guess I do still have three cards. They're My Little Pony. Well, no, oh, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Friendship is magic. I, I never get to open them, though. They they are for looking at only do not touch them <laughs> everybody's taking it i just said something really wrong didn't i <laughs> magic the gathering is not friendship, friendship it's competition no, no. no connection it is a hundred percent competition this, this, I, this, I i have a handful of people that i can play magic with and every single game turns into who's the biggest dick yeah, and despite my antisocial, or beside my antisocial stance, I quit playing Magic the Gathering because it wasn't friendly enough. I, it also comes down to like competing about who gets the space in the game store too. <laughs> Magic players will fight against other other gamers in the game store for space. <laughs> Magic and Yu Gi Oh are the two big ones that'll argue about it too. I, I was listening to that that sh- channel I was talking about, I think, and he was talking about the fact that Yu Gi Oh, when it became out, it like it became like the biggest thing ever. And I had no idea that there was anything that had actually outshined Magic at any significant period in terms of sales and player numbers. Yu-Gi-Oh! was more focused on younger card players, and it was a really big introduction mechanic at the time. And that's the thing. It's like um, when Hasbro bought, I mean, we we were there, who were there at the time, we know. When Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast, it wasn't Dungeons & Dragons that got their attention. It wasn't even Magic the Gathering that got their attention. At the time, Wizards owned the license for the Pokemon card game, and it was the biggest license on the planet for that, like, 20-month period or whatever that they were interested in buying the company and did. I saw some numbers recently that said that, um, like, Wizards is is the biggest section as far as a revenue generator of Hasbro currently in operation. They're they're treating it like a a cash cow, and it's starting to piss off the community, which is not going to be a great thing, because that's a huge community. Right, because the more attention goes into just generating revenue, the more the uh, message gets lost. Exactly. Wizards also produced Mm -hmm. the very, very short-lived Neopets trading card game, which I love. Yes, they did. (laughs) Yes, they did. I might actually check that one out. I have have some if you want to play with me. Except I hate it when my card dies and I can't play use my card anymore. Lol. They had a lot of licenses for stuff. I mean, D&D has obviously become bigger than ever. So it's it's a really, you know, it's it's a really good, um, it's not a revenue generator. revenue. I mean, it is a good revenue stream for them, but it's not, that's not the point there. Because most of the, what really brings in money from the hobby is, of course, you know, things that rely on disposable income and constant influx of cash, like a trading card game. That's not really rocket science. Magic is their big money maker still, which surprises me that it's still around after, say, the 78 years. You know, just like, dear God, people are still playing this game. So we need to develop the trading dice game. The trading dice game. 
I don't know. I like I having know, matching nice sets. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you got to give up the whole set. <laughs> no. Oh, but no. also, yes. No, you just have to keep playing the same person until you take playing. all of their sets. <laughs> <Do you get laughs> <all of that? laughs> See, then I'd have to That'll just get some random part. bulk stuff, like get a one pound bag of dice, and that would be the Pound-o stuff that dice. I would go with. <laughs> I would tell you guys I won a pound of dice on a contest once. What sort of contest was had a pound of dice? <laughs> one of my well, one of my favorite uh, podcasts for a long a long time uh, was and, I, and it still is. I just don't listen to them as much now because they you know their their posts have changed and stuff so much. But uh, it was Happy Jack's RPG podcast, and um, oh yeah, Happy Pardon Jack's me. early on, early early on, uh, decided to run a contest. They did it a couple years in a row, but the first year they did it, they decided to get really clever. And this is back when I was running contests too. Show you how far back that was, where they would uh, give away prizes based on entries that they would judge and the entries were for uh in this case it was one sheet adventures inspired by like the i think the savage world's one one sheets right so your entire adventure information was all on one page front and back and it needed to be um non uh what's that called non-system specific right so you had like they gave you some guidelines for you know you put in here that this should be an easy or a moderate or you know difficult encounter stuff like that but otherwise keep it to where it's generic enough that people could play it with any game system they wanted to mm-hmm. and and uh the prizes that went out the big prizes that went out went to some really great entries but they decided they were going to do like they did like they did like something like 15 categories and then they came up with oh, wow. a couple of wild card categories that uh, wh- I was one of those because I submitted one of my um, I wrote an adventure for my Lonesome October series, uh, which I've run at cons. I've run the adventure at cons a couple times. It's called Doctor Jack Vampire Hunter, and it has a, a section in there where <laughs> God, I, I kind of need to give away, but I don't know if I'm going to run it again because I've run it a few times. I'm kind of done. It's kind of played out, but. Um, but I, I do have it in my collection that I plan on putting out there one of these days for uh, the fans. But the, uh, the one of the premises of the adventure was the identifying that a uh, body that was found was, which was disguised as one of the Ripper killings, actually was a um, vampire, suspected vampire. Her eye teeth had been removed uh, by the killer, but. That was a just at the time at that point in the adventure, since I mean, I didn't tell people the name of the adventure or anything. They don't necessarily know the vampires truly exist, much less are part of the problem here. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a mystique to that element in the adventure that doesn't become clear until later in the adventure. And I got a prize for best use of dentistry in an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> and they randomly sent me a pound of dice. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, awesome. And I gave most of them away to my players. You know, let people pick and choose whatever they wanted because it was just a big mishmash of mostly ugly <laughs> dice. It was great. So I really enjoy thinking back on that, though. That was fun. They decided after that not to do the whole thing where they sent out like 20 prizes because they discovered postage is a bitch. Yeah, it is. It is. And wow, I, I took that lesson to heart. So when I did contesting the next year, I just gave everything to one person, <laughs> you know. And the fun thing about it is people still like contributing and and doing the prize stuff. I, the the reason I don't do it anymore is because the setup for the kind of giveaway I was doing was extremely labor intensive. Because we would we would take entries for various things, but it wasn't the running the contest that was labor intensive. It was getting the prizes together. I would make deals with publishers who I would do interviews with on the show. They would give me prizes, you know, set up prize packages. And back then, I had all those publishers mail stuff to me, so I could then put everything in one box for the winner because that was fun, you know. Yeah. Later years when I did stuff like that, I would I would just have the publishers send stuff themselves. And of course, in the years since then, it, PDFs have been a very viable way to do oh, yeah. stuff that doesn't involve a lot of shipping. Shipping is really cheap. Maybe not as special, but definitely uh, still a cool way to disseminate content. <laughs> I have so many things in my drive through RPG that I treasure because I won them or I was given to them by a random author who appreciated me or something. There's so much great material out there. I just, I never, I never tire of um, spending monies on PDFs. That too. That too. Yeah. Like, I've been debating going back to driving for Uber Eats just so I have money to put into hobby stuff. (laughs) And I think the best thing about PDFs is I don't need to buy shelves. Because extra money makes, yeah, it's hard. It makes a difference. Yeah. Don't forget Mm -hmm. that the floor is the biggest shelf in your house. 
Oh, believe me, uh, I haven't forgotten that. I have ADHD. Like it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if you could see much of it, but there's piles. <laughs> we, we make the mistake of occasionally buying new folding tables so we can use them for our booths and stuff, and those somehow end up in the house as, for, as more shelves. More shelves. It's fantastic. Shelves. Yep. More, more shelves uh, for more doomed doom piles. It's funny right now um, <laughs> because we're so bad and, and we have like a kitchen, uh, like a kitchen like dining area table, but it's, it's a round table in a weird kind of niche in the front room. And it's not, not the most comfortable place to try to sit three or four people around. So we, uh, we do a lot without pulling it out and making a bunch of extra space and moving furniture around. So um, we ended up putting a folding table in my son's room because he has a sizable bedroom and he's no longer eight. So he doesn't have a million toys anymore. Most of his entertainment world evolves around his computer on his little computer desk at one end of the room. And I was like, well, you know, we're going to do school stuff this year. So let's put a table in your room. And it has actually remained relatively clear because we use it regularly, which means if you use a table regularly, you do keep it kind of clear for usage, right? So we got his like school books and stuff lined up in there because we, we do homeschooling stuff. We got all that stuff lined up in there against the wall on the table and he doesn't go anywhere near it because, you know, he's scared of that stuff. <laughs> so it just kind of sits on one side of his room while he mostly focuses on the other side of the room. It's great. So the funny thing is when we started doing a new house game, we hadn't for a little bit. We started doing a new house game a few weeks ago and like, where are we going to have the, oh, let's go to Gabe's room. <laughs> so we're playing D&D in his room around the one table in the house that's never cluttered. Wow. fantastic and it gives me room to kind of lay things out this time we decided to do a thing where i had them pick miniatures they wanted to paint for their characters and then build the character sheets after they picked the minis oh so, that's wow. actually kind of neat kinda i fun. like that it yeah, that's cute yeah it was, it was a way to kind of start to validate having you know collected so many stupid miniatures i haven't got around to painting over the last three or four years with all those reaper freaking yeah. uh kickstarters and shit paint and take and create and play <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, i am um, i i cannot you know. function in a room that has a cluttered table like unless i'm currently using it um so much so that when i go to uh mm. my friend's house i will also unclutter her table <laughs> yes, do you want to come over right <laughs> I've got her on Tuesdays. Uh, so, <laughs> no, the funny thing is that uh, Jess came up when my, when my wife broke her ankle. When we moved in, Jess came up and um, hung out with us for a couple of weeks to help me unpack the house because she moved, you know, she broke her leg while we were moving. And so, uh, okay, now I love you and I hate you, Jess. <laughs> this was such a complicated process to me, but this woman organizes fucking everything you own if you give her a chance because well here's the thing my oh, i get it brain can't mm -hmm. use stuff if it's not in a place where it belongs because i i because I, I have adhd really that's the, the base of it i have adhd if something's not where it belongs i can't find it and i can't use never it, find it again. <laughs> i wish right. i had so your I function of ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> mine has to be in like a particular pile of stuff yeah. i think yeah, the version you're looking for, Vanessa, is, is also called obsessive compulsive disorder. No, I do <laughs> not. I, I have been diagnosed and untreated for ADHD. I've never been diagnosed with OCD. That's very okay, important to keep clear. Um, your, your therapist has you never been in your house, right? <laughs> but no, there is there is a distinct difference. Like ADHDers do either have doom piles or doom organizing. <laughs> that is I have a doom thing. piles. <laughs> I 100% okay, have doom so, piles. <laughs> so this was hard on me at the time and I wasn't working yet. So it's like, it was, so it was every day, most of the day. Right. But, um, oh my God, to this day, I know where everything in my house is. <laughs> you know, even when the house gets a little messy, I know where everything belongs. So it's just ridiculous how much of a difference it made in our life to have somebody come in and make me touch and find a place for every <laughs> fucking thing, thing we own. <laughs> I'm like, you have to touch everything. Cause it's also part of like decluttering too, like making sure you're not keeping too much stuff. I'm like, touch it all. Oh. You have to touch it. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't want to touch it, you really don't yeah. need to keep it. You don't need it. Just throw it away. There's Just, a lot of yeah. stuff in my house that I should put in my storage unit because I look at it maybe once a quarter. <laughs> should you have a storage unit? Oh, yeah, once a quarter, maybe. But you'd have to have an organized storage area. I mean, if you just. 
I also need to sort through the years of mail that have been piling in my house. So do pile your storage unit. This is the first house we've had in a while where we had like storage space in the house. So that my, you know, piles and piles of old D and D books that I'm sure I'll never use, but cannot bring myself to get rid of because some of them go back to my, you know, childhood and the boxes and boxes of you guys, you already know, freaking board games for the game library that's all that are just and another closet uh, and another shelf (laughs) we've got a wardrobe out in the garage where i can fit most of it i think originally my wife had intended to use it for her yarn collection and jesse found somewhere else to put all that so i was also eternally grateful for that of course you know i don't know if the the yarn would have suffered from the cold any more than the board games but my garage is three degrees did i mention that yeah Chicken. I'm glad yeah, it's how you were here. The how you liking? How you liking that eight months of winter in Colorado? <laughs> Is that going well for you? You know, it's we're still early yet. It's it's not bad. We've had one snow in Alamosa, um, it, and it was a much, very much a really pretty. You know, there's two or three inches of snow covering everything, but it just wipes away kind of snow. Uh, but it does get super cold. The difference here in the valley, because you were in the Denver area when you were up here, right? Uh, the difference here in the valley as opposed to the front range is that we don't have any freaking wind most of the year. So even when it's negative three degrees, it doesn't feel like it. Not when you're from Kansas. Except that one right. season when Jonica and I were hanging out there alone and it was nothing but wind every day for like a month. <laughs> yeah, I missed most of that. I caught like the last two or three days of it. Just wait. I remember just that. wait till you get to wind so, season. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what they're telling me. And that's what some of the people uh, you know, uh, around here say happens in the winter. So it was just weird having so much of the year go by with almost zero wind. I mean, I can look out my window right now and not a tree is leaving and is, is moving in the least. I'm from Kansas. That is uncanny. It is uncomfortable. Gabriel can't stand to look outside for more than a few minutes. You know, it's just it's just too much. Right. It doesn't make sense. Of course, that kid can't adjust to change. So that's fair. <laughs> I have some family in Pennsylvania, and when they come down, even like the slightest breeze, they're just like, it's so windy. And I'm just like, God, I would hate living where you do because I I don't like being outside when there's no wind. It feels mm-hmm. creepy to me. <laughs> well, the funny thing is when I moved to Wichita from uh, Dodge City uh, back, you know, like 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago, whatever, I, uh, I Dodge City, that western Kansas prairie where there is nothing nothing blocking the wind and certainly not buildings like you have in wichita is the one of the windiest areas of the country it's insane i remember the first year we moved out there uh and and dodge itself is kind of in a bowl just a little bit like Mm -hmm. it's kind of in a Mm -hmm. valley so like tornadoes like would come to the town and they just kind of like leave they they never actually come into town um i used to work in the tallest building in town which by the way was four stories and I, I worked on the top floor, and we could even go to the roof because I had my satellite dishes up there for the radio station. Uh, so I go to the roof, and I could look out, and all I could see around me was the town because the bowl rose up just a little, just enough right around me, and I couldn't see the whole town, of course. But it was just kind of funny to me that that I, that it got so windy when it was all in a bowl like that. But it was intense that first year we were there. I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school, I think. And the first time that wind pops up and I'm trying to ride my bicycle down the block, I'm sitting here going, fucking tornado's coming. What the hell is going on? I'm running home and telling my folks, you know, it's like, uh, it's also the first place I ever lived where I got like hailstorms in the middle of like the sunny, like spring weather and mm-hmm. shit. It's like just kind of, yeah. I'd be outside mowing the lawn and suddenly something pelts me in the back like it's trying to damage my spine. Like, um... Hailstorms when it's sunny are so weird too. Like it happens. Get them in Kansas though. Get them <laughs> but in Kansas. it's so we weird. A, we had a vehicle right. that was totaled by hail in July same in 2007 yeah, yeah, in Wichita. Happen. Yeah, that'll same happen. storm probably. Yep. Oh, uh, it was in, it was insane. And I, I, who thought I needed to have my car in the garage in July? You know. But oh, there me, you go. The sun makes the seats hot. That's <laughs> yeah, a quibble. That is a quibble, sir. My quibbles, I like short shorts, okay? My legs burn. (laughs) Uh, So when I talk about culture, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is uh, the distinction to me between kind of like the Western power fantasy, like we were alluding to in some discussion we had recently, and kind of like the more medieval kind of English way of looking at 
um, heroism and uh, well, heroism is probably not the right word, but adventure. The the interesting thing is that because kind of the cowboy American mentality focuses a lot on the individual hero, you know, everybody is a hero in your own way kind of thing. And you are the hero of your story. Yeah, I know it's a song. Everybody got it now? Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Check it. <laughs> I love Dr. Horrible. Yeah. And uh, that's the reason why that works, right? And D&D is such an amazing um, exploration of that and everything that has branched out of it since. There are games that don't focus on that, of course. There's uh, definitely games where everything focuses on kind of teamwork and mission-oriented play, but even those games, you'll notice that the majority of the time, you don't have six people with the same talents. The idea is to be unique inside the construct, right? Have your role, your place to stand out. That's what makes the gaming fun. Well, the uh, the way I kind of learned that there was another sort of thought process on this was the first time I played in a game with Space Marines. It was a it was a it was a role playing game. It was I played Dark Heresy, which was a uh, RPG, and that one involved the uh, the the whatever they call it, the priests. Now I can't remember what they called the priesthood, which I'm sure that there's listeners out there <laughs> yelling at their phone at their phones right now. But um, but uh, it, but we mixed it up and we combined it with the Death Watch game, which was the RPG that involved uh, playing Space Marines. You know, but yeah, Warhammer 40k. It was 40k that world that universe and there is a function to the approach to uh development of story in that universe called the death spiral where everything is basically kind of circling the drain and a homogenous sort of approach to to um characters isn't a problem everybody has the same skills you are just using them effectively you know, and you know you can rely on the next person to have the skill. The, you know, you know what their skill set is because you've been trained the same way. It's like it's like getting into the military. So I mean, sometimes you go into the army, you'll get a commission that gives you a certain unique sort of responsibilities, but you all went through the same basic training. So there are features of what you do that are all the same, and the differences don't make you shine. In fact, in like the U.S. military, for example, and I'm sure this is true in a lot of places where they have a very disciplined approach to the military, you uh, don't. They don't want you to shine. You are a you. They 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 file that shit off. They want you to be part of a cohesive unit. They don't want you to think for yourself because that's you know how you get killed. You know, you're you're definitely supposed you're there to take orders and and do and do your function and you know f- fulfill a cohesive part of a of a team that is working together, and you don't have to understand how, you know, and that is something of the appeal of that inside the death spiral, I think. And the 40k is a great example of that because it's a universe where everything is circling the drain. It's just the way it is. It's you know what you know what you know as a player, but what your character doesn't know, that doesn't matter. You know, you know that there's it's kind of similar to me to the the classic horror scenarios where, you know, everything is hopeless, but your character doesn't know that. <laughs> My wife hates that stuff, <laughs> but she loves 40K. Okay. She loves playing a space marine. Um, but then again, space marines are way OP. I mean, that is the concept. Yeah. Clearly over the top constructs. But I found it interesting to think that the Western power fantasy doesn't really exist inside that cultural sort of bias, where people don't approach the games to stand out, necessarily. They approach it to be part of the solution on a broader sense. You know, so if you are playing a D&D where everybody has different talents, they still wouldn't necessarily be orienting towards individual heroics. Although you still see plenty of that, obviously there's a heavy part of the UK market that has always been you know, oriented on D and D and, uh, some of our, you know, movers and shakers in the industry are, you know, located, uh, across the pond, but the, the gaming kind of, uh, narrative approach the, I think it kind of, you can break it down to a few different things, um, representation in culture where what you play in the game represents you and your interests or ideas. And of course, when we try to be diverse, inside the gaming experience then we are often trying to create representation of other cultures as part of that diversity 
you know, and you see that such a huge impact on that in anything that has a broad reach, like we do in the entertainment world. You know, television and movies and stuff, representations become a big thing. Gaming, in terms of like the publishers making sure that they're, you know, th- like, like Wizards is having to focus a lot right now on representation and making sure that they don't have too many missteps. They've had a few that have caused them some uh, serious headaches recently. And, yeah, just it's just a matter of you know whatever you know, whether it's you know sensitivity or um, you know understanding or just simple diversity representation becomes super important. And so us as gamers, we represent ourselves and our interests inside the gamosphere, you know, inside the mind space that, that we're that we're inhabiting when we play. And uh, however that that puts us into the the group, you know, mechanic whatever that is. Um, another one is, um, uh, sorry, lost my word, word, uh, competition is a big, has a big, I think variable when you, when we, when I was, uh, working on my degree and we focused on, um, social psychology at all and talked about kind of different global, you know, cultural impacts and how people are, because so, you know, sociology is, is like when you're studying groups and how they, they work, right. You know, in a macro sense, but social psychology was like the same thing only in an individual sense. Again, it's like, he's just still looking at the individuals inside of a social group and determining how they function. And competition is a much bigger, has a much bigger role in some cultures than in others. There's a very human sort of element to it, a very kind of primal element to it. It's inescapable, but it is um, a huge thing in America. You know, it's it's part of our way of life from the youngest. You know, it, it, and maybe that's changing over the years because I'm of a certain age group that we we all we all know the the participation trophy criticism of the millennials. You know, it's like is is competition really still you know promoted it in at, the, at a young age? Is is it, but it, its character has changed over the years. I don't think it's really gone away in any way, shape, or form. And um, in in gaming, which I find very interesting in the role playing game sense, where we are not necessarily directly competing with each other at the table, there's still a large sense of how competition in, informs the experience, right? Uh, that's kind of, um, whether it's between, you know, the conflict that you have with the rest of the game world and the ideas that the game master represents, uh, or presents rather, or whether it is simply the ways that people compete with each other in, 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 you know, in a dynamic that doesn't necessarily involve the actual gameplay, like, you know, creating heroes, creating, uh, optimized characters or, you know, simply one-upsmanship, you know, <laughs> that still only counts as one. You know, and then there's aesthetics, which I think um, are an interesting sort of cultural phenomenon in that um, our our interests in the aesthetic qualities of an imaginary world are going to vary a great deal based on our background. You know, uh, whether you uh, grew up in inner city America and your aesthetic has a very sort of almost brutal kind of um, caveat to the way you approach your character's place in a world and your expectations of the world around you, or whether you grew up in a more um, uh, homogenous culture that represents uh, uh, tradition, like in India or Japan or somewhere where they have very, very strong social traditions that still inform a great deal of everybody's behavior. I guess we do too. They just aren't as friendly. <laughs> also, our, I don't know. our tradition is fierce individualism, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you know, I made the old West comment because a lot of it goes back to the uh, pioneer days and the way you know, America was born and, and bred and developed. And, you know, despite the fact that we have this huge separation from that in the current paradigm of our world, we are definitely still informed by that in the way we were brought up and the way our society functions. Um, individualism is a good word. So I just thought it might be kind of fun to um, explore that, but not just how... In the broader sense, cultures, you know, your culture, such as it is, will inform your approach to play, but it will also inform perhaps the way you visualize the gaming experience, because we do play a game that relies heavily on the imagination as a general rule. Any of these games require you to create a space inside your own head that one of the most fascinating things about the experience to me is if you could somehow take a photograph of that 
and a photograph of your neighbor's headspace, they wouldn't look remotely similar in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, culture, whether that's, a, you know, ethnic identity or simply, you know, whether you grew up in poverty as opposed to, you know, comfort or, you know, what your how, how your personal successes and failures in life influence the way you uh, approach personal entertainment and it, just things that kind of make you who you are create a, a landscape for you that's going to differ. Uh, perhaps considerably from the person next to you, even if you never expected it. But that's why I said I didn't want to get too microscopic on the culture thing, because you can get pretty ridiculous. Culture's a, a fascinating study in and of itself. Um, I've, I've listened to Jim Pinto go on about it for hours. It's, it, was, it was a favorite study of his, and I, I don't even pretend that I really understand it um, in the larger sense. Uh, but as far as how it affects people at an individual level and informs the way they approach gaming, I think I do. But let's be honest. I mean, despite the fact that I have been, I have gamed with uh, at this point, I think I can fairly say, well, I don't want to say hundreds of gamers in my gaming career uh, because a lot of them would be just like one game and never see that person again for various, you know, various events and such. But in a, in a persistent sense, where I had a chance to get to know them or you know, anything like that, at least scores of gamers. But most of them have been in uh, Kansas. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I mean, we still have a, a quite a, multi- a cultural melting pot in Kansas, you know. Uh, but we do tend to gravitate towards people that we relate to. So I still wasn't necessarily picking up a lot of diversity inside my gaming groups most of the time. Yeah. In fact, when I was younger, I was actually kind of looked at weird because I had female gamers in my groups, you know, <laughs> is is like, what are you doing, sir? And how do I do it? Um, <laughs> treat them like people. I don't know. Right. It's not that hard. <laughs> People like people. Strange, I, I think strange, some people yeah. think it's really hard. Don't, don't be a yeah. gatekeeper. <laughs> but have you ever felt like your um, your cultural background has affected or influenced or informed how you approach things like gaming? Because I believe I have. Um, and and again, I've I didn't grow up in poverty. You know, um, I grew up very kind of uh, failed middle class, and uh, you know, it's where we always had enough debt to make ourselves feel like we were doing okay. You know. Made enough uh, to not qualify for low-income things. You're right. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, I I only remember one or two bread lines my entire life, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, the, I remember the government cheese at one point in my life. I think it was when my parents like split up for a little while when I was a kid, and like that's what my mom had to do. I was like, um, I like cheese. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah. I, but I mean, consequentially, you know, I, I grew up in that kind of middle-class American, very kind of white bread kind of area. I mean, not, not in terms of our neighborhood, we were surrounded by neighbors of different uh, backgrounds, but I lived in Dodge City for a good chunk of my life where we had a very heavy Hispanic population, for example. And uh, I made several friends who were from Hispanic families, but they didn't game with me. You know, um, I had one black friend who did, but he was so gay. Uh, he was such an effeminate dude and super intellectual and everything I aspired to without realizing I wasn't gay. You know, it just, it was just one of those things that is like, it was just, it was, he was great. And, and we game together for a few years, but, uh, mostly didn't have a lot of diversity there. It's a little weird to you, the way you, uh, worded that because you're like i had one back friend but he was gay as if being gay makes him not black as if, yeah exactly <laughs> but he, he brought but a different it changed his behavior yeah, yeah yeah i'm just saying like the wording was a little strange like my brain was like the, wait catch up catch up that's not what he meant <laughs> the funny thing about it was that um his mom was traditionally what i expected more i was in high school what i expected more of a you know black american african-american you know a, a mom you know and um she gained with us too for a while she's one of my players for a while too and she was amazing she was super fun and and <laughs> then they had a friend who i who gamed with us some but i couldn't understand a word he said i you know i really wanted to connect and i tried honestly tried but i was so inexperienced in life i had no idea 
you know, how to get there. The black American moms that I got to grow up with were those neighborhood moms, like the like you come to the house and you're part of the house and you do chores at the house and uh, you're fed at the house. And so, like, I got to experience a lot of that, like, like uh, nice. the neighborhood moms, especially, like I said, the, the black ones that I grew up with were the sort of it takes a village to raise the kids and everybody's here in their house being their kids sort of thing it seemed like the hispanic families i knew when i was younger were more insular than that there wasn't a lot of that but their families were huge so it's like you got to know the one person in the family and if you had half a chance you got to know their 17 siblings and it was fantastic they always had a great family dynamic and uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm poking fun, obviously, but I'm not meaning to. I mean, seriously, I just seem to know a lot of large Hispanic families when I was young. And they lived around us. You know, they lived nearby, but we didn't we didn't do anything social. We just kind of, you know, hung out. When I was, I'm talking about when I was young enough that we did, you know, we go outside and do stuff. You know? <laughs> I, I remember vaguely going outside and doing stuff, but it's it's a very dim memory at this point in my life. My son doesn't understand when I mention it. I definitely yeah. had, uh, for all the way through middle school actually i had that childhood of like growing up outside of the house just being gone from sun up to sundown sort of even after school school, never did that (laughs) yeah i think about fifth or sixth grade i because i because i got into i was only about eight when i started playing D, but it was probably fifth or sixth grade before i started getting obsessed with it and doing it all the time like when i was eight i wanted to be obsessed with it but i didn't know how like, I would make up stuff, and I would draw maps, and I would, you know, the Castle of Doom and the Forest of Doom and, the, you know, Crevice of Doom or whatever. You know, I was like, and, 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 you know, and then beg my DM to run more games, you know, was like, was that kind of, and he would do that, like, once every couple weeks until he finally got to the point where he figured out he could ghost me if he tried hard enough. You know, it wasn't really, it, it wasn't enough, you know, it wasn't enough to really get me going, and I still loved games in general, so, I mean, I grew up in a board gaming household, and it just is all about that social dynamic to me right so i loved just playing any games it didn't necessarily have to be that i just fell in love with the constructs of of D. but about i think it was like i was 10 when nine or 10 when my mom found like copies of the old box sets they like the red the red box and stuff at like a garage sale and i was like you know what erica like these let me do some research <laughs> so she bought them <laughs> did the research because that was my mom and then brought them to me and said, I did some research. It seems like everybody that has supposedly, you know, committed suicide or something playing D&D was on a lot of drugs. So, you know, <laughs> if you're going to do a lot of drugs, that's fine. Let's talk about it, though. <laughs> that was my parents. You know, it's fine. They're like, they're kind of like, I can't say anything. I did a lot of drugs, too. <laughs> you know, yeah. Were you pregnant at the time, Mom? I've always wondered. Mm-hmm. But the uh <laughs> the groan is awesome <laughs> you know um no my mother was a wonderful person and i say was because yeah. she passed away recently but I, I she gamed with me for a lot of years and uh i i loved i loved every moment of that it was it was a huge bonding experience for me and for all of my friends that she gamed with for a lot of years i think another thing that um like cultural black background can affect while you're gaming is like where the drama comes from like you're saying like the castle of doom and the forest of doom so like the drama is outside of your community or outside of your hero mm-hmm. versus like uh internal strife yeah right. like a lot of a lot of um a lot of the genre that i create if i'm dming or if i'm playing either way is like more of a internal um, something that comes to game, you local so that comes to your community <laughs> right um, or if it is an outside influence it's something that affects you at home the the people that matter yeah it's interesting i mean it's that's an interesting dynamic i never would have thought of that i mean obviously uh when you start trying to think of premises for adventures when you're creating material you try to think outside the box all the time you know what haven't i done a million times well i don't do the castle of doom anymore obviously but that isn't to say that there isn't an occasional castle you go to that starts the action you know of course the nice thing about starting a campaign is you can literally start it anywhere it's everything after that that you don't have much control over <laughs> so it's you know, I, I know you normally wouldn't go checking out the castle to doom but it just so happens i'm going to start you in the foyer good luck <laughs> <laughs> you all wake up strapped to a table <laughs> oh man college right (laughs) that that makes me think um clue but make it D. &D. 
There's oh my god, Clue would make an awesome like D&D game. Oh, I actually found I, I have that scenario uh, on my drive. Yeah. There you go. Ryan wrote a story. It was Clue adjacent. That's awesome. I love stuff like that. I love creative, but I also love investigative mystery games. So, of course, that would appeal to me anyway. But um, there's also the thing about kind of approaching culture in the game and being, um, well, okay, so this has changed over the years, right? It used to be if you decided to uh, play somebody who wasn't culturally, you didn't culturally identify with at a personal level and you wanted to play them and make it feel real, then it changed your play style. It's, it, was the, it was the role-playing equivalent of blackface, right? You know, in, in the 80s and 90s, there wasn't a lot of people criticizing that. You know, if I'm going to play a flamboyantly gay person, I'm just playing a flamboyantly gay person. I'm the actor who was hired to do that or whatever. If I am, you know, playing a person of another cultural identity, a different, a different ethnicity... And I'm trying to reflect my impression of that culture in play. How likely is that to be a caricature? And even if I am absolutely down on that, you know, I know that culture and I can represent it very cleanly. I'm still not that guy, right? So there's going to be that chance that there's people at the table look at me and go, you know what? You need to stop acting Chinese right the fuck now. Yeah, um, I think when I've done that, my big thing is I make a huge change that's obviously a big change to make mm -hmm. it clear that my character is not supposed to be representing a real world culture because I cannot rep I cannot say that I speak for another culture. Um, I know that the McElroy brothers got in trouble because one of them tried to play a first people's character and everybody was like, wow, you're being so insensitive right now. And it's particularly tough as a game master sometimes because you want to represent the world. So right. I'm going to role play NPCs of different cultures. I think there's in my game. maybe a difference between representing cultures and character, like making a character of a um, like iconically oppressed culture, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. So I, I think... Um, so I have caricaturized a little bit in the past with like uh, I mean there was a character an NPC and I, and I don't I'm, I don't mean to cut you off I'm sorry Jess uh, there was an NPC in the um, Project Z actual play that you can hear on the podcast um, who they met who was a, a black guy in the city and I picked a character in my head and went and and just committed you know uh, I was playing it for laughs. It wasn't intended to be anything insensitive and nobody's ever said anything, but I've often, I've sometimes thought about that and wondered, you know, but everybody was having such a good time, you know, and that's, that's what matters to me at the game table is everybody's having a good time. I think part of the thing that uh, people want us to keep in mind is that a lot of the times the little glimpses that we get into these different cultures, especially different oppressed cultures are glimpses from entertainment and media and mm -hmm. they iconically do not uh, handle yeah they don't handle them well like minstrelsy is an old uh form of you know white people taking advantage of characters of black people in order to make money mm -hmm. uh yeah and we kind of still do that with a lot of our mainstream media stuff which is where someone who's playing a game kind of gets an idea of like oh this is how this person is going to act in that culture and then they end up making a character of an oppressed person that um, can be very harmful to that population, you know? Right. Because while every single person in a culture isn't going to react the same way to being in that culture, any one representation of that culture to a broader audience is going to be the thing that everybody sees of that culture. And that's where the representation becomes problematic. And, and consequently, like Jesse's putting out, is all, all we know sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I mean, willfully or not, if I was going to run a Western game and I have a Native American character show up, what are the odds that despite my best intentions, I'm going to end up picking character traits the, from the movies? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I, think, I know nothing that. of Wakanda <laughs> except what I've seen in the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wakanda's, mm -hmm. uh, Wakanda's an interesting example because it's such a, it's kind of an African melting pot anyway. They, they took a lot of cultural right. identity there, but, yeah. but there's been a lot of praise with how uh, sensitively I, they did it. Yeah. Too. 
I think at least in the first movie. I haven't heard much discussion now, but you know, I think the Black Diaspora celebrated it anyway um, because they did a good job of representing like the African culture and but making and it was making all very it, positive, making it like a like a modern civilization instead of a caricature. Yeah, yes. of, yeah, yeah. And it was very clearly not one specific culture. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. They, I know some of the languages. I heard that they used a couple of like different African languages as the basis for the Wakandan language, for example. There's a and, uh, so broad variety of <laughs> sub and, and that's that's neat. <laughs> and that they could do that in a way that that celebrated, you yeah. know, rather than dignified or utilized it, exploited it for just for the entertainment, right? Yeah, you know, but that was also the point. Wakanda was such a huge character in its own movie. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the first Black Panther movie, particularly where we were seeing things, and I couldn't help but I mean, my wife and I sit in the theater and just just marveling over how beautiful everything was, the culture that they presented in the movie, and the the rituals and the ceremony and the and the character interactions and how how amazing all of that felt, and it was impossible impossible to walk out of that and not be a fan of it, which yeah. I think is what pissed a lot of people off that didn't want to be fans of it. <laughs> uh-huh. So I guess that I guess that's kind of the difference is that if you're making something that's going to be consumed, like you were saying, your actual play for, uh, uh, right, for public zero signal, like if you're making it, right. that's going to be consumed, trying to incorporate and represent those coach cultures without fully understanding the actual culture, uh, can be hard. Yeah. It's trying. And, and of, co- of course, at the time, and, and I, I might make this mistake again, too. At the time, it's not something that's uh, that's on the brain. I am running a game for my friends. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, except you're putting it they're online. responding. Yeah. Except I'm putting it online. And to be fair, Project Z was the first one we did, and it took place in real world. Most of my games are in fantasy worlds, I think that's, <laughs> which makes it easier. I think that's what happens in um, at conventions, too. You get a table of people, and you're thinking, oh, I'm just running a game for my friends. But then it turns out you're actually in public playing with strangers, and um, you could be... Yeah. Like harming their cultures in a way you don't understand, and, and even if even if some of them are your friends, there's often one or two people at the table that you haven't gamed with before. And now we're mm-hmm. seeing that um, since people are playing online in like discords and other servers uh, with even more strangers, like we're seeing that aspect of it too. Of like more people are coming together from more diverse backgrounds and possibly misrepresenting things like misrepresenting sexual assault <laughs> while there's a sexual yeah. su- assault for survivor in the discord call you know yeah yeah so which is i know why a lot of the safety tools have become a big thing too mm-hmm. yep and for our listeners edification know that um in case you haven't picked it up yet we're a bunch of white folks um <laughs> yes. ex- vanessa especially what? because <laughs> you know she's also a redhead and redhead yes. is their own culture i understand <laughs> and have no soul but I, I really like. I really I've feel got, like I've got lots of those. <laughs> collected plenty of checking the freckles. <laughs> exactly, I've got, I've got the freckles. <laughs> yeah, mine are fading over time. I don't know what to do. Um, don't we have got a hard more? stop yeah. at noon? Yes. Okay. I think yeah, we're going to have to get out of Six here minutes. pretty quick. So um, I want to mention real quick, uh, Rich. You have a, a game idea you wanted to uh, present to, and if that's something you can hold on to. Yeah, yeah. For another for another episode, yeah. I'd like to get into it and uh, see if we could run a scenario. Right. See if you could run a scenario for us during the during the podcast because it sounded like a lot of fun. It sounded like something you could showcase pretty easily. But so by much. then, I may have play tested it, and then I could actually that's true accurately run. <laughs> oh, either way, yeah. You know, we're pretty easy. You know, I guess if if if, if you play test it with us on the air and it's utterly awful, <laughs> I'll cut that out for you. That's not a problem, right? Because right, you cut things out. I remember. But I do. I do apologize that we didn't have time no, to get no, to it you're today. Fine. So I, I know I, we talked I, about we it had yesterday. Great conversations. I'm excited. Yeah. Play test yeah, it t- with me, this. please. <laughs> Jesse's just Jesse. Like Eric has how many games in a week? Dear God, <laughs> get on it. Do more gaming. Oh, man. Fill your life. You know, it's it's funny because so many people don't have the ability in life to take the time for regular gaming. You know, or if if they do, regular gaming becomes like once every two or three months or something. And I get busy lives. I get that absolutely. And and everybody has hobbies that'll take precedence too. You know, not everybody. There are other <laughs> I hobbies. Don't. What? But, um, 
<laughs> yeah, Vanessa's like, at one time, didn't you have like five or six games a week? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're one of those people. Yeah. But the people I look at incredulously, like, what, what It are doesn't you, happen anymore how? because COVID kind of killed that, but yeah. I have kids. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, my, but my kids play D&D play D &D and I still can't get that much gaming in. You know, I really, um, uh, I really appreciate uh, having that opportunity. You know, I don't take that for granted. And it's helped, I think, in the post-COVID days, we had kind of started to matriculate into smaller groups who played at different times. Smaller groups so is definitely better. I'm not, I'm not taxing. It's not, like, it's not like I'm seeing the same people three or four nights a week for gaming. You know, it's, it's different, different collections of some of it. So that's kind of nice, too. It, 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 feels, uh, it feels fresh that way. Although it also feels like if I um, if we miss a game for some reason that everybody's lost out because if it's the same group you know they get to play the next night it's different <laughs> it's a different situation oh well that is what it is um, anybody have anything they want to add nope on this or anything else yeah cool you guys are fun I try we'll do this again yeah I think we should do this again uh, let's go ahead and shut it down for now and uh, let Vanessa get to her thing if um, anybody would like to add to the conversation definitely drop us a line feedback at prismatic tsunami.com that's feedback at prismatic tsunami.com uh, or you can drop by our discord server find the link in the show notes and on the website and all the places and uh, you know we appreciate anything you want to add especially sending us emails right now since Jess has been around and she loves reading emails I do yes so I'll be happy to forward them to her and let her stumble all over your name thank you for having me again so yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. It's been fun talking to you again on the show. I mean, I know you've been doing more gaming recently, and that helped, you know, kind of get you into the spirit of it a little bit, the mindset. But you've always been um, fun to have uh, on the show and talk to. And, uh, you know, you're prettier to look at than Joe. So, oh, I mean, oh, so Joe's not pretty. Not, <laughs> he listens. I don't want to upset I think him. You guys I'm are equally pretty. Thank you. Uh, see there? Richard's, Richard knows how to butter everybody up. All right. Thank you for listening to episode number 284, Cultural Bias. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. I'm still Jess again. Yes, you are. Jess again. You spell that. Good night, everybody.